Welcome to the DLA Piper Real Estate Podcast. This series discusses the big issues in real estate while providing market and legal insight into the latest trends and challenges within the sector. Thank you and good afternoon and welcome to this webinar in which we'll be discussing the important topic of sustainability in relation to hotel assets. I'm Susan Samuel, a real estate partner at Delayed Piper and I look after hospitality businesses in relation to all aspects of their real estate requirements. With me today, I have a fantastic panel. I have firstly, Ufi Ibrahim, CEO of the Energy and Environmental Alliance or the EA for short a not-for-profit coalition of hospitality sector leaders focused on sustainability in relation to hotel assets. And I also have James Fisher of the Brie Group. Welcome, James. Uh, the, the group behind Briam, the world's leading sustainability assessment method for buildings. Welcome to you both. Um, Ufi, James and I will be discussing three main questions today in the time that we have. Firstly, why? Why are we discussing this topic and why now? Secondly, the perspectives of owners, operators, and funders in relation to this topic, and are they actually different? And thirdly, and the most important question is, how do we measure how sustainable a hotel asset actually is? Wuffy and James also share with us the important collaboration that they have underway in relation to delivering and pulling together a method of measuring sustainability in relation to hotel assets. Now, I recognise we could sit and talk about this topic all afternoon, but we don't have all afternoon, we have 45 minutes. So what we will do for the first 35 minutes is we'll focus our discussion on the three questions that I've just talked about, and we'll leave the final 10 minutes to questions from the floor, if, if that's okay with you. Um, Ufi and James, welcome to DLA Piper, and thank you so much for coming to our office today, our London office, to film this webinar in person. It's great to see you in person. We've had lots of pre-calls in which we've been on Teams and Zoom, and it's so great to be off Teams and Zoom as well. Yeah, it's a real, real pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you, Susan. It's, it's great to see you both. So we'll dive straight in. First question, which is actually a little bit of a challenge too. So right now, hospitality and hotel businesses are reopening and they've had a very difficult period in lockdown. They're building occupancy levels and they're putting all of their energy towards that. Why is sustainability a big uh, agenda item for execs in hotel business and, and why should they be looking at this particular topic right now? Wufi, over to you. Well, sustainability really came to the fore in, in a commercial sense after Agenda 21, the UN framework in 1992. At that time, the United Nations set sustainability out as a non-binding requirement under the Agenda 21 framework. But we've come a very long way since 1992, and today sustainability has moved from something being non-binding to being binding as an absolute requirement for business. Now, in that context, why now, if not yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would think there are four significant commercial reasons that really act within the context of where we are today, moving beyond Agenda 21. The first is regulation. Regulation has changed considerably. Yeah. Um, regulatory requirements for corporate re um, reporting and disclosure, be it EU taxonomy or TCFD requirements here in the United Kingdom, the net zero binding requirements, which are being um, adopted by an increasing number of governments around the world, but also 
new legislation which is emerging, you know, beyond the modern slavery and, and human rights re related legislation. Take Germany, for example. In Germany, um, in March next year, the due diligence on supply chain law will come into effect, which is going to require businesses to disclose that they have actually you know, done a stringent review of their supply chain to ensure sustainability is embedded in that. So there's a lot of regulation which is coming and it's going to impact more businesses as we go forward. Today, it affects public listed companies and the very large funds, but tomorrow it's going to trickle down and it will affect a much broader base of business. So regulation, I think, is the first primary driver as to why do we need to act now. The second um, aspect is that the investment community have already responded to regulation. So, you know, in terms of assets, be they assets in existing portfolios or assets that fund managers are looking to acquire, they are undergoing um, a very strict net zero due diligence audit. And as part of that audit, you know, assets, buildings, hotels, apart hotels are being assessed rigorously for you know, viability, the longevity, the life cycle of that building. Uh, is it going to become a stranded asset or not? How much capex is going to be required to bring that building up to compliance requirements in line with not just current, but forthcoming regulation? What about the social impact of the operations of the asset? What about the operations of the asset? Does the asset actually have a strict governance framework for sustainability and ESG in place. And you know, all of these aspects, all of these considerations, plus more, are having a very big impact on decisions which investors and lenders are increasingly making. So the second reason I would say as to why now is because if you don't act now, it will have a significant impact on your access to capital. Um, which is primarily important, obviously, for any business, especially today after we have all suffered significantly um, as hospitality businesses post the COVID lockdowns. The third is very much about your customer proposition, your value proposition, your competitive differentiation, your position in the market. So if you're um, not able to put your ESG credentials into a value story, which is then narrated clearly um, and transparently in a trustworthy fashion to, to the customer, then your occupancy is going to suffer. Your RevPAR is going to suffer because differentiation and competitiveness will be moving much more to businesses that have those ESG credentials and are communicating them in a clear way. And also today we're facing Susan um, and James, as you know, one of the biggest staff shortages that our industry has faced, particularly in the United Kingdom, the double impact, the double whammy impact of Brexit and COVID um, has created a significant issue for hoteliers in the United Kingdom. So talent acquisition and talent retention, particularly the next generation where ESG credentials is one of the number one asks for any potential employer will create competitive differentiation. So right now, businesses must adopt that as competitive advantage. And the fourth, and the final one I would say in terms of an absolute necessity for commercial purposes and decision-making now, is that we're just a few weeks away from COP26, which takes place here in the United Kingdom, in Glasgow in November. So there's going to be an acceleration of the number of scientific reports that actually are published showing the extent of the climate emergency, 
that's going to have an impact on mounting public pressure on all businesses to, uh, to act and to be accountable for the actions that they take. So they're really the four reasons why we at the Energy and Environment Alliance believe that commercial action must take place now. For very, very solid reasons. And thank you for spending the time to talk. It was a big question. And you did tell me you would need to spend a few minutes doing that. But I think they're really important messages to be able to give to the people listening to our webinar today. Um, because <clears throat> um, we know too, after COP26, we are expecting more legislation and more regulation to come from COP26 as we look at net zero, as we look at 2050 and you know 1.5 degrees, all of those kind of things. But this kind of concept for me, being a real estate lawyer of stranded assets, and this concept too for me of the fact that sustainability and um, actually having a BRIAM excellent coming to you now, James, asset or a good asset, it actually increases asset value and the attractiveness of that asset to occupiers. So having this measure or potential for certification yep. of a BRIAM standard to hospitality operational businesses mm -hmm. going forwards yep. is going to be massively important. Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, what, what we've seen over the years, that the value story has, has, has been crafted. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's crystallised now in, in 2020, 2021. Um, just, just recently, we've seen, haven't we, the, the study... Um, using BRIAM data that was conducted by, by Knight Frank uh, in September 21 that was published, um, showing a very um, clear... This was for commercial property, commercial real estate, you know, London, London property, but, but showing that, um, you know, if you had a, a London, say, city centre prime office with a, you know, with a BRIAM very good certification, you could expect an uplift in rental yield um, of around 3.7%. If you moved to an excellent rating, you would you would achieve, on average, sort of like a 4.7. And if you uh, believe it or not, if you achieve the top score, the outstanding rating, which is you know around about one percent of the certifications that we do, you can you can anticipate a 12.3 percent rental increase. Now that is that is you know um, city centre prime commercial real estate, mm -hmm. but you know, there will be analogous numbers for, for other sectors as well, as well. And just to touch back on, the, if you don't mind, on that of point course, that, that would be made about, about the, the finance being available for the ESG credentials being in place. I mean, I, you know, I won't talk about who, but I'm aware of certain situations where people with a, a huge track record in, in development or property and real estate development have got you know, strong strong portfolios of buildings mm -hmm. and track record, but because they haven't got an ESG story that goes with their business, you know, they might, they won't struggle to get funding, but they might be asked more questions around that, those, those credentials as well. So perhaps, you know, the ESG has, is, has come up to the same level now as, mm -hmm. as the financial metrics as well. I know one of the things that we've been talking about as part of the GCC um, the General Counsel's Committee, excuse me, <coughs> frog in my throat, um, has been green loans and green funding. And we'll come to talk about the General Counsel's Committee um, when we talk about our third question. But, you know, these, it, it, it is very much apparent, and even from my day-to-day -day practice, that ESG is not just a nice to have. It is something that is impacting on a day-to-day -day basis. We know that our clients, when seeking investment committee pr approval and coming to your point of your ESG checklist and requirements, 
that needs to be part of the IC approval process. Um, so, and a lot of our clients and funds as well have ESG teams. So it, 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 is, it is today and it's happening and, it, and it's happening now. Um, brilliant. Broken my throat. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'll turn to our second question because I think we've got some really important things to talk about as, as we move through this. And this is a really important one now where we talk about the interests of owners, operators and funders and whether or not they're aligned in relation to sustainable goals. And one of the things that um, we've been talking about in our prison are all um, uh, really important reasons why each of those participants within the hospitality industry need to get across and not only get across but sort of implement ESG strategies and principles in relation to the investments that they're making in the operations of the hotel assets they're making. Ufi, um, is there anything that you can say about that in terms of what you're seeing in your discussions with your EEA members? Is there a consistent message that's coming across from them? I think one of the key messages that are coming across, not just from EA members, but from the industry generally, is you know this is a this is a huge task. Yeah. It's a very complex um, pursuit. There is no single silver bullet to ESG um, and to being sustainable as a as a hospitality um, built asset or uh, operating that asset, and that's a reality. We have to um, accept that reality. Mm. So to find solutions, I think, you know, alignment between the various parties is, is absolutely key. So from an operator's perspective, you know, data collection, data, um, you know, gathering, data reporting, this is um, a, a sort of a, a responsibility that they feel is overwhelming them in some respects, which is why it's important to be able to have that ESG governance framework in, in place yeah. so that you know what type of data you should be um, collecting. But then, you know, in defense of those operators, we as an industry haven't yet even set certain standards ourselves yet, formal standards internationally. For example, take uh, measuring floor area of a, of a property, of a built asset. You know, I can see James is nodding because we've had this conversation <laughs> many times where, um, you know, various um, data management companies are reporting on floor area, you know, square footage or, or square meter in, in different ways, either including or excluding certain external spaces, balconies, car parks, swimming pools, golf courses. Where do we draw the line? So there are some standards that we have to set and adopt as an industry in order to help operators and owners and investors get better alignment. Um, and for that purpose, we have to actually work with those parties together so that they are the ones that design and, um, you know, and set those formal standards so that adoption can actually then take place internationally. So this is um, an effort that the Alliance is pursuing at the moment, trying to bring this alignment. So I think data is a real issue. <clears throat> We're getting that feedback from a lot of our members, but there are other issues as well. I mean, there are sharing knowledge, for example, know-how. Some have fantastic um, examples in, in some assets you know, using technology from NASA, um, you know, hydroponics, aquaponics, um, all the way from NASA directly into a hotel. <clears throat> Others don't. Yeah. Um, so there has to be a bit of sharing of that knowledge and know-how. And then finally, I would think in terms of alignment, investors, you know, investors want to be, uh, to have the assurance that there is consistency to the way that they can actually measure 
um, the performance of hotels within a portfolio. Yeah. Uh, which hotels are doing well? Which aren't doing well? Which, which operators do they need to uh, encourage to do better or, or which not? Um, and again, that brings us back to this area of consistent metrics and, and frameworks, which I know we'll be discussing later. But So I think there are some issues emerging um, where you know the interests of one yeah. investors versus um, operators and, and owners um, is, is um, causing some strain. But ultimately, the solutions are going to come about through alignment of those, uh, of those three, three stakeholders working mm-hmm. together absolutely in a collaborative fashion. Because I often see in my practice, they're on opposite sides of a contract, whether it's a management agreement to release. And in the green loans context, we'll often see the parties on the other side of a, a facility agreement. So bringing those parties together to have a proper discussion about a particular asset and its requirements and how can they, and it's not just about the E, it's about the S and the G as well. How can they work together to deliver a strategy in relation to that asset that's actually going to make a difference? Um, it's, it's super important. James? Yeah, I was just, I was just thinking about, um, about what he was saying around you know, some of the investors setting the demand uh, for the assets to be measuring things uh, on a practical level. I mean, take the point completely about measurement. I mean, if you use a different measurement standard, it can change the value of the building as well. That's, that's a really big challenge. Um, but in terms of, you know, robustness of data, you know, we, we've seen, um, you know, very large investment uh, funds and people who put money into other people's funds as well, you know, driving a, a BRIAM specification because they want to see a consistent, uniform sort of uh, specification and measurement across all of the the investments that they make. And I think that's the thing where where BRIAM comes into its own. You know, not only have we got the the building science, everything that we do is underpinned by science, Mm. Um, the robustness and, and, you know, the BRE... You know, we're, we're 100 years old this year. And, and Happy the, birthday. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to look at it on, on this camera, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but, uh, the, the, you know, the, the rigour of our science is important, but also the fact that we operate a third-party uh, certification scheme. Yeah. So we have a network of trained and licensed assessors who, who work, with, you know, on the client's assessment. Um, and, but, you know, that rigour is absolutely vital to us. That's, BR, that's in BRE's very DNA. Um, and the fact that, you know, if it, you'll get the answer that is the right answer, not one that perhaps you were hoping for, and that allows for that consistent measurement yeah. to happen. Well, that's why you're trusted. Yeah. It's, to be a trusted measurement, it has to be objective and it has to be scientifically based. I mean, mm-hmm. in, in a sense, that third-party certification, which is different from other other schemes, um, you know, it stands in, a, in an equivalent sense to... The financial audit that a company would have done on its, you know, its corporate accounts, for example. Mm. So, you know, they date it very similarly, and you'll see ESG and and audited finances, financial reports coming out on the same day now as well. So they have equal value, which is fantastic. And looking at some of the figures too around how intensive the built environment is in relation to CO2 emissions. I think it was 39%. I'm not going to look at my notes. I've probably got that wrong. But it's, it's something like that. And then looking to, and we discussed this just before coming on to camera around hotel assets being the most intensive of real estate assets or asset classes in terms of energy and utilities, water usage. And that's because these are 24-7 
assets, aren't they? They're operational assets. It's going to be really complex, isn't it, to build this method of measurement? I think you, you know, it's, it's a really important thing that you're doing, but there's no doubt that you've got a task ahead. I mean, the challenge comes, of course, because when everyone stays at a hotel, you know, they might expect to be able to have everything that they want. That's, that's kind of how it is, isn't yeah. it? So we need to make sure that we're being respectful of the, of the need of the business to deliver that service, but also in, the, in a framework of, you know, um, sensible metrics. But those demands are changing, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. So, for yeah. example, take Apple. Apple have, um, have set out a rule as a, as a company, as a corporate rule, to say that every single supplier to the business must have ESG credentials. So um, that, that's being enforced now. So um, all of that corporate travel, let's say, from Apple, um, which is big business for some of our assets, some of our hoteliers, um, now will be dependent on the ESG performance of that building or not, of, that operation, of the operators or not. And you know, that's just one example. I mean, corporate travel is changing significantly, and it will come back, um, I believe, after you know, we've got COVID um, under some form of control. But it's also affecting leisure demand as well. So I think that demand pressure is forcing those solutions to be found. Absolutely. And to be found quickly. But as you say, James, they've got to be done effectively and they've got to be done in a measurable, robust way. Um, Otherwise, you could end up, you know, hopefully not, but, you know, you could end up in a situation of greenwash, which which we must um, avoid. Um, you know, the work that you've done, Susan, for us under our General Counsel's Committee around greenwashing, which um, I know we haven't published yet, but we will soon, um, I think has drawn a lot of learnings for us in terms of the huge risks and reputational damage, which um, many of, uh, many, many operators in our industry are probably not yet aware of. Um, And we're seeing a number of litigations, aren't we, on other companies and other sectors around greenwash. So I don't think it's going to be long before it hits us. So it's got to be done, as James says, with real rigour. It does, with more regulation to come in relation to greenwashing as well. Uh, So yes, please do watch this space in relation to the launch of our greenwashing paper. And it won't be me, I must add to, as a real estate lawyer, be our marketing um, law team, our advertising law team will be doing that. And and I guess too, one thing that I also found that I think was really important to mention was it's, it's just the simple things from a hotel operator's perspective that can make a difference. And I was reading a, um, a quote that uh, just by turning off the lights in rooms that aren't being used, a hotel operator can save millions of pounds or dollars in relation to their own costs. So just really, really kind of simple um, uh, things that could be done to drive change. We'll turn to our third question, just uh, noting the time, because as I said, we could talk all afternoon, but we have to keep to time for the people watching. And thank you very much uh, for remaining online, if you indeed are. Um, so I'd like to talk about your collaboration, your really important collaboration between the EA and the Breed Group in relation to this measure, measurement of sustainability in relation to hotel assets. Um, please can you tell me a little bit about your journey um, and where it goes from here, um, and particularly focusing on the fact that, I, and this is kind of news to me and I wish I had have known, I'm really pleased we're able to talk about it to the people listening today, that the BRIAM rating anyway contains substantial elements of ESG in relation to built environment and built assets. So it's just, exte- well, just extending that out to a complex operational business like a hotel asset. So please do tell me more, Fee. Do you want to kick us off and start? Sure. I mean, I, I guess you know, people who are watching this uh, webinar are already familiar with BRIAM, particularly in terms of planning application requirements in many 
local councils by the United Kingdom who demand a BRIAM level um, certification for the planning application. And um, increasingly, regulation is adopting programs like BRIAM in the UK and Europe and internationally. Um, so it's really important, I think, that we, we as an industry, ensure that BRIAM, the scheme, works for us. Yeah. And that's what led us to, to communicate, to talk to one another um, <laughs> for the first time, to say, well, is there a way that we can actually customize the existing platforms, which, by the way, I think for us address three critical points. Transparency, so it will enable our operators and our owners, asset managers and owners, to say what they're doing without any black boxes. So there's no ambiguity. There is absolute clarity in terms of the metrics, the formula, the methodology that has been applied to create those outputs. Very important for transparency. Two, Briam for us answered the question around objectivity because of the third-party verification, yeah. which is absolutely critical. And the third is the credibility, the, you know, the, the, the huge amount of scientific know-how um, that Briam actually has and the reputation that they have for, for being one of the world's first and leading um, schemes. So we started talking, and I have to applaud Briam, if I may, publicly, mm-hmm for actually accepting um, our challenge and saying, fine, let us customize the program and let us create the world's first for the the sector. And I have to say that we're very proud of our collaboration with Briam, not just because it's the first for the sector, but it's the first for any sector in the world. The first effort to create for an entire sector consistency in metrics, setting global formal standards, creating that common language um, and creating the pathways, not just to net zero. And by the way, Briam have had net zero pathways embedded in their scheme since 2009. So it's not just a jump up, hop on, and let's follow the net zero trend. Way before the Paris Agreement. Absolutely. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this has been given real thought, real scientific rigor. So for us, the collaboration is extremely important because we believe it will be the way that we can actually help to provide the industry with the ESG governance framework that they need, with clarity, consistency, transparency, as I said, objectivity around data um, generation, collecting that data, reporting that data, and ensuring 100% compliance with regulation. Because I asked James recently, I said, EU taxonomy is coming up. How compliant is Brian with EU taxonomy? What work do we have to do to get it to 100%? So I'll pass the baton over to him so he can answer that question for you. But this is the rigor that we are taking to, to developing the, the scheme that we're working on. And I guess, too, just as part of that, and a second question for you um, is how much more work do you need to do to adopt Brian standards to an operational business okay. like a hotel asset? So sorry, I've compounded that. Yeah, no, you probably no, can't no, remember no, the first yeah. question. Was asked you. <laughs> no, so I try, I try and pick it up off uh, in, in an order. So I mean, I think you know. So thanks very much for the for the, for the kind words. If we, um, you know, our scheme was Brian was first established in, in 1990. Uh, for those who who like numbers, uh, you know, we have around uh, 600,000 certified assets across the globe, and over 2.2 million registered buildings. So you know, we've we've been doing this for a while, but it's about keeping up to date with the current trends. That said, Uffie's right, net zero was part of our thinking back in 2009. The scheme that we're going to be focusing on is, is Briam in use, which is the operational uh, um, 
operational asset phase, okay. as opposed to maybe the planning committee, uh, the planning applications, which will be focused maybe on new construction or, or refurbishment and fit out, for example. But yeah, we're we're absolutely mindful that there's always more that you can do. And for me, this is about making sure we're absolutely using, creating and crafting from the data that's that's verified that the absolute metrics that the industry needs in the language that the industry uses, um, the tone, you know, all of those very particular things that the hospitality sector has been using for years, Mm -hmm. we need to make sure we're mirroring that. We're we're confident on, on the building science. We know how resources are used in different space types but having that that additional customization or tailoring is really important particularly when it comes to um, adoption by the EEA members and the industry at large and just to come back to the question on the taxonomy um, we we've done some mapping on our new construction scheme at the moment um, and we're about to complete the pre-am in use mapping um, and we're feeling we have an 80 percent alignment at the moment for people to be able to say that they match the taxonomy requirements and if I've got another 20 seconds I would say I couldn't look at the time at the same but, time but we did we did allocate a lot of time to this yeah. this is actually I think well, the heading of this webinar was measuring sustainability in hotel assets and we need to give yeah. the, the people listening what they wanted to hear so please do so in, in, t- you know, in terms of the taxonomy um, the reason that we still have a gap of 20% which we're going to be working on right now, of course, um, is that there are um, criteria in the do, do no significant harm um, and some of the social uh, aspects um, where, you know, BRIAM is a more traditional E in ESG uh, uh, scheme. Uh, you know, obviously there's some, there's some gaps there that we're going to look at. But at the same time, it might be that there, those are things that we can capture in our digital platform as non-certification questions as well. Okay. So it's, you know, we're, we're, really, we're really close. Yeah, and we're very excited about the fact that this customised, bespoke brand platform for us for, as an industry will embrace the S as well as the G yeah. and the E. So, um, you know, we're very, very pleased about that and ensuring compliance with regulation is, is, the, the other is thing, key in that. Sorry, the other thing I should mention as well, I think, is about, is about the pathways to... To net zero, and you know, how can organisations ensure that they are Paris-proof or they are they are mapping to zero in the in the right timeline? And a lot of the work that the team are doing at BRE at the moment, and the BRIAM team is about using um, the trajectories and understanding how they fit into the tools, so that a client of BRIAM, a hotel hotelier. Um, can come and know that as part of using our scheme that we create together, they'll have, you know, they'll have taxonomy and they'll have, um, you know, trajectory to zero fully as part of that. As part of the... So you don't need to go looking for anything else. Which is absolutely brilliant because (laughs) one of the things that we've been talking about too is the the S and the G because we're so focused on the environmental aspects of the ESG um, world that we're, we're, we're living in and we need to embrace. The social is so important because in relation to our hotel as an operational asset, the hotel guests are in the city. Um, you know, what are the, what's the impact of the hotel guests on that local community? The employees of the hotel, yeah. you know, it's, it's diversity, it's, um, you know, how, are we paying the minimum wage or 
the right wage or um, all of this kind of thinking is really super important too, as well as the governance. So in terms of the governance, it brings everything together. So in terms of governance for a hotel, it will be pulling together a strategy that looks at the risk, that looks at the um, risk of not complying with ESG. And actually, to your point, James, brings together all of the points that need to be addressed and thought about in relation to that particular hotel asset. Yeah, I mean, certainly in terms of the social aspects, you know, in my my personal opinion is that the impacts that organisations have in, in the S space are quite different depending on what kind of business they are in a more general sense, mm. just stepping out of hospitality just for a you know, millisecond. Mm. Um, and I do think that finding something that will completely cover all of those attributes will be quite a challenge. Yeah. Um, and we're certainly starting on that journey and you know, we'll be using feedback from the EA and, and the membership to, to hone that, that tooling more as we move forward. It's a very exciting time. I very much look forward to the outputs of your collaboration and hearing some more about it. So we might move to some questions and see if there are any questions that have come through on my trusty iPad, uh, which I'll just take them here. Very good. Okay. Technology, slick. Uh, so I've got a question here uh, which might be addressed to both of you. There is a significant focus on E, environmental of ESG, given it may be the most approachable one to measure. How companies' criteria changing, or how are companies uh, changing their criteria for the S, social? So we've just touched upon that a little bit, but perhaps you could expand a little bit further and answer that question. Either of you, whoever would like to take that first. I'm happy to... Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's, a, it's a good question. We know that there's always going to be more to do in the E and the S and the G. Um, I think the reason that everyone's focused on the E thus far is because it's probably the slightly easier thing to do. Mm. Having said that, there's still, a, you know, there's still a lot of catch-up to do. And I'm, I'm slightly nervous in a way about the way that everyone's raced from perhaps nowhere straight to, to net zero because there's so many things that you can do in between don't wait to start the journey get started before maybe understanding what zero actually means for you but to come back to the, the question i think we are seeing more diversity of metrics around you know apprenticeships training you know job creation um, community impact um, but it will be something that really is as diverse as the business community and the, and the business community and actually the, 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 you know, the community is living in an area as well. So, you know, I think it's more about capturing data that, that is relevant to a particular organisation rather than being too specific about what it is that is captured. Although we do need to find a way to enable companies to assess their performance versus... On a like-for-like. Like. On a like-for-like like basis yeah. across the sector... So it's easier to do that in terms of human rights, civil rights, isn't it? So the modern slavery bill, are we, you know, are we compliant with that? Yes, check. Mm. Um, you know, childhood sexual exploitation, are we dealing with that? Okay, check. Um, diversity, are we, are we, have we adopted that? Yes, check. So there are some aspects, yep. I think, in the S, which we will be able to frame the metrics for, um, and we're working on that. But there are others, as James says, where it becomes much more subjective and much more specific to the, to the impact that that... Um, hotel or a part hotel may be having on their local community. So um, it's not easy, the task that we're, we're adopting. And I think the only way that we'll um, achieve success in getting the S right, as well as the E and the G, is with the participation of hotel um, asset owners and asset managers. They have to participate. 
The idea is that this is for the industry, by the industry. Ultimately, they have the answers. They do have the answers. They do have the solutions, which is what makes this process so exciting. Mm -hmm. And we need to find a way to funnel that information in so that um, Briam, since they have agreed to open Pandora's box, um, you know, congratulations again on doing that, um, can get the right information in so that we can then enable the right decisions and right measurements going forward. Provide those first steps almost for those investors, operators and funders who may not have started or begun their journey on ESG. Um, We do have a second question, but before we do that, um, we did discuss a question um, in our preparation that I thought was quite a good one, and it's quite a challenging one. And that is the question of who pays? Who pays for sustainable improvements to a hotel asset? This is quite a challenging question for operators and investors in particular, and there are lots of green loans and green bonds that are being set up uh, specifically uh, to enable funding for that purpose. I don't know who you'd like to take that first. Yeah, I mean, I, I, for me, it's, it needs to become something that everybody sh- shoulders equally. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to sit here and, and say that. But at the same time, if you think about it from an investor's point of view or an operator's point of view, if, if an asset ex- is exposed, you know, isn't resilient enough to p- the potential of climate change, you know, that has you know, big implications for the future. Thinking about business as usual and that business as usual being maintained you know, into the future alongside, along with a business plan, this act- activity needs to be undertaken. Um, you know, it's not it's not a short term thing. It's a it's a long term pathway. Yeah. Um, you know, that that's the that's a challenge seeing seeing it through a different lens here. Okay. I'm going to take a step back in in my answer, if I may, because we shouldn't forget other stakeholders in this process as well, such as governments and local governments. Um, and you know, we have observed that governments have supported some other sectors, particularly the automotive industry, for example, and other sectors with um, a lot of carrots as well as sticks. And I think that our industry deserves that kind of support from government. Um, So if there are any public sector officials listening, that would definitely be my message. And I know, for example, since the focus here is the United Kingdom, in the United Kingdom there are many local authorities who are charging a levy, although it's not called a levy, it is called a contribution to a fund, to an environmental fund, for planning applications that are in line with the London plan methodology for, um, for you know, carbon, uh, offsetting carbon related to, um, to building refurbishment or new projects for buildings um, for, you know, offsetting the carbon for a 30-year life cycle. And I think these sorts of, um, you know, positions by, by government make it very clear who, in their view, needs to pay. Yeah. The buck stops with the business, right? If you're the investor, the developer, you, yeah, the developer, you have to pay. Mm-hmm. So there's already a lot of signs out there in times of government pointing and saying you have to pay. Um, and I think that a lot of businesses are happy to pay, but we also need transparency around how those funds are being used yeah. um, back in that local community. And at the moment, you know, there's a lot of room for improvement, should we say, um, among the public sector in terms of cost. Um, and I think that our ambition, certainly as an alliance, is that we draw greater collaboration between the private and the public sector in terms of who pays for what, so that there can be better alignment there as well. So I'm taking a bit of a step back. That's perfect. Um, 
so as not to get involved in the politics of should it be the investor, the operator, well, this, the customer. This, but this. it's really important because these costs are already being applied. So while they're not being called environmental taxes, um, in some form, perhaps, we could interpret them as already being there. And there's more coming. So before we get hit with greater carbon taxes, I think it would be really important to, uh, to understand, get an understanding with governments as to how that cost could be shared with government as well, with the public sector. Well, thank you very much. That was very ably answered by you both. Um, I'll just turn to another question from the audience. Uh, uh, from Adam McClellan from PKF Hotel uh, Experts. What might the cost of certification process be for a single operating hotel? Not the cost of any required upgrades, but just the, pr uh, the prices. Will it be a one-time cost or an ongoing cost? Okay, so um, I can I can answer that. I one. think that's one for you, James. <laughs> um, so uh, you know, the, the first thing I would say is that if if um, the person who asked the question is like, is a, is a is a member of of, of the EEA, then um, they will be able to access um, effectively a volume arrangement for the certification. Um, if if they weren't a member and it's just you know somebody coming forward uh, in in the UK, the price point for a three-year certification for first time, would, including assessor costs, would be around about £12,000. Okay. But an Alliance member has significant savings on that, doesn't Yeah, they? absolutely, yeah. So Just you... to underline the point. Thank you for asking the question, Adam. <laughs> it was a good question to ask as well, because we were just talking about who pays, weren't we? Um, I... We don't have any other questions at the moment, so I think we could probably um, come to a close and just, if there is any kind of closing remarks or other sort of really important aspects of your collaboration that you wanted to tell everyone about, please do. We've got one or two minutes where we could share some other really important points that you're discussing. But if not, we can draw the webinar to a close. Is there anything else you'd I mean, like all, to share? All, all I would urge is anyone listening who's interested in becoming part of this program, you know, encourage them to, to come come and join, you know, and also, you know, speaking as a, a passionate uh, environmentalist in some senses, I would say, you know, underlining the urgency of, of what we need to do collectively here, um, you know, without scaring anybody, but the time is now. Absolutely. Well, I mean, for me, a huge thanks to all the, uh, the businesses who have already joined the Alliance and are supporting the work that we're doing with Briam, but also our General Counsel's Committee. We, we touched on that briefly, so maybe we can just explain yeah, sure. to the audience listening, you know, what, who, who the General Counsel's um, Committee are. So we have a group of in-house lawyers chaired by Nadia Milligan, who is the General Counsel for the Sonder Group. And we have legal firms, including DLA, Susan, and you've been leading the work for us on greenwash, greenwashing, and I'd love for you to say a few words on that. Um, but we have others as well. So we have Adelshaw Goddard, who are leading um, work on hotel transactions on the real estate side. And what we're doing collectively together is we are actually writing clauses um, which can be adopted by businesses to ESG-proof all of their contracts. And it's our ambition to be able to cover all aspects, including procurement, um, you know, reward, remuneration schemes, employment contracts, all contracts, leases, etc. So that we have a legal repository which is open to everyone to be able to access those clauses to help them. So we really want to be an enabler in this process. And we're doing this in conjunction with the Chancery Lane Project, 
who have been uh, very generous and who wish to feature our work at COP26, which we're very proud of. So from, I'd just like to finish off by saying a huge thank you to everyone that's participated thus far. I hope others will participate too. And a thanks to DLA Piper as well, um, not only for the work that you're doing on the General Counsel's Committee, but for this webinar too. So um, thank you. And oh, we're delighted to be able to host the conversation. We do really want to have you back when you uh, have finished your work, your important work in del delivering this measurement of sustainability in hotel assets. So thank you so much to Ufi and James today. And thank you to everyone who has listened, if you are indeed still listening uh, over your lunchtime. Uh, it's uh, been a great pleasure to host you both and have a great afternoon. Thank you very much. Any information in this podcast is for general guidance only and is correct as at the date of recording. This podcast is not intended to be and should not be used as a substitute for taking legal advice in any specific situation. For full terms and conditions, please see our website. If you'd like to hear more of the DLA Piper Real Estate podcast series, subscribe now through your usual podcast app.